Introduction of the Analects of Confucius. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Li Jing. The Analects of Confucius. Translated into English by William Jennings. Introduction. The strangest figure that meets us in the annals of Oriental thought is that of Confucius. To the popular mind he is the founder of a religion, and yet he has nothing in common with the great religious teachers of the East. We think of Siddhartha, the founder of Buddhism, as the very impersonation of romantic asceticism, enthusiastic self-sacrifice, and faith in the things that are invisible. Zoroaster is the friend of God, talking face to face with the Almighty and drinking wisdom and knowledge from the lips of omniscience. Muhammad is represented as snatched up into heaven, where he receives the divine communication which he is bidden to propagate with fire and sword throughout the world. These great teachers lived in an atmosphere of the supernatural. They spoke with the authority of inspired prophets. They brought the unseen world close to the minds of their disciples. They spoke positively of immortality, of reward or punishment beyond the grave. The present life they despised, the future was to them everything in its promised satisfaction. The teachings of Confucius were of a very different sort. Throughout his whole writings he has not even mentioned the name of God. He declined to discuss the question of immortality. When he was asked about spiritual beings, he remarked, If we cannot even know men, how can we know spirits? Yet this was the man the impress of whose teaching has formed the national character of five hundred millions of people. A temple to Confucius stands to this day in every town and village of China. His precepts are committed to memory by every child from the tenderest age, and each year at the Royal University of Peking the Emperor holds a festival in honor of the illustrious teacher. The influence of Confucius springs, first of all, from the narrowness and definiteness of his doctrine. He was no transcendentalist, and never meddled with supermundane things. His teaching was of the earth, earthy. It dealt entirely with the common relations of life, and the golden rule he must necessarily have stumbled upon as the most obvious canon of his system. He strikes us as being the great stoic of the East, for he believed that virtue was based on knowledge, knowledge of a man's own heart, and knowledge of humankind. There is a pathetic resemblance between the accounts given of the death of Confucius and the death of Zeno. Both died almost without warning, in dreary hopelessness, without the ministrations of either love or religion. This may be a mere coincidence, but the lives and teachings of both men must have led them to look with indifference upon such an end. For Confucius in his teaching treated only of man's life on earth, and seems to have had no ideas with regard to the human lot after death. If he had any ideas, he preserved an inscrutable silence about them. As a moralist, he prescribed the duties of the king and of the father, and advocated the cultivation by the individual man of that rest or apathy of mind, which resembles so much the disposition aimed at by the Greek and Roman Stoic. 
even as a moralist he seems to have sacrificed the ideal to the practical and his loose notions about marriage his tolerance of concubinage the slight emphasis which he lays on the virtue of veracity of which indeed he does not seem himself to have been particularly studious in his historic writings place him low down in the rank of moralists yet he taught what he felt the people could receive and the flat mediocrity of his character and his teachings has been stamped forever upon the people who while they are kindly gentle forbearing and full of family piety are palpably lacking not only in the exaltation of mysticism but in any religious feeling generally so called the second reason that made the teaching of confucius so influential is based on the circumstances of the time when this thoughtful earnest youth awoke to the consciousness of life about him he saw that the abuses under which the people groaned sprang from the feudal system which cut up the country into separate territories over which the power of the king had no control china was in the position of france in the years preceding philip august excepting that there were no places of sanctuary and no truce of god the great doctrine of confucius was the unlimited despotism of the emperor and his moral precepts were intended to teach the emperor how to use his power aright but the emperor was only typical of all those in authority the feudal duke the judge on the bench and the father of the family each could discharge his duties all right only by submitting to the moral discipline which confucius prescribed a vital element in this system is its conservatism its adherence to the imperial idea as james i said no bishop no king so the imperialists of china have found in confucianism the strongest basis for the throne and have supported its dissemination accordingly the analects of confucius contain the gist of his teachings and is worthy of study we find in this work most of the precepts which his disciples have preserved and recorded they form a code remarkable for simplicity even crudity and we are compelled to admire the force of character the practical sagacity the insight into the needs of the hour which enabled confucius without claiming any divine sanction to impose this system upon his countrymen the name confucius is only the latinized form of two words which mean master kong he was born five hundred and fifty one b c his father being governor of shandong he was married at nineteen and seems to have occupied some minor position under the government in his twenty-fourth year he entered upon the three years mourning for the death of his mother his seclusion gave him time for deep thought and the study of history and he resolved upon the regeneration of his unhappy country by the time he was thirty he became known as a great teacher and disciples flocked to him but he was yet occupied in public duties and rose through successive stages to the office of chief judge in his own country of lu his tenure of office is said to have put an end to crime and he became the idol of the people in his district the jealousy of the feudal lords was roused by his fame as a moral teacher and a blameless judge confucius was driven from his home and wandered about with a few disciples until his sixty-ninth year when he returned to lu after accomplishing a work which has borne fruit such as it is to the present day 
he spent the remaining five years of his life in editing the odes and historic monuments in which the glories of the ancient chinese dynasty are set forth he died in his seventy-third year four hundred seventy-eight b c there can be no doubt that the success of confucius has been singularly great owing especially to the narrow scope of his scheme which has become crystallized in the habits usages and customs of the people especially has it been instrumental in consolidating the empire and in strengthening the power of the monarch who as he every year burns incense in the red-walled temple at peking utters sincerely the invocation great art though o perfect sage thy virtue is full thy doctrine complete among mortal men there has not been thine equal all kings honour thee thy statutes and laws have come gloriously down thou art the pattern in this imperial school reverently have the sacrificial vessels been set out full of all we sound our drums and bells e w End of introduction. Recording by Li Qing.